Father, we do. We want to drink from the cup that's in your hand. God, because you drank from the cup of suffering. God, you paid the penalty, you paid the price. God, for all of our sin, for every single thing that we've done to break your heart, God, you paid the penalty from it, for it, God, and you drank from that cup for each and every one of us. God, because of that, we have reason to celebrate. Because of that, we can sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb that drank from the cup of suffering, God, for each and every one of us. Where we so didn't deserve it, we still don't. God, but you still pour out your grace and your mercy on us. And God, for that, I am so incredibly thankful. I am overwhelmed, God, by your love and your grace and your mercy that you continue to pour out on us. God, be with us now, Lord, as we begin to study your word. We begin to look at what you have to say to us tonight. Father, I know that there are people here that need to hear this specific word. God, I am simply here to relay the message that you have given to me. God, this is your word. God, this is the power of your Holy Spirit. So, God, do a great work. And those people, Lord, the people that are here that will have open ears and open hearts, Lord, to, to hear what you have to say to them tonight. God, speak to them and speak to them clearly right now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're continuing in our series, Miraculous. I was up in the air about whether or not this would be the last night, but uh, for whatever reason, God has shown me while I've been here, that this will not be the last night of the Miraculous series. Uh, we will be covering it Sunday as well, of course, but we'll also probably be covering something else next Wednesday. That Really, if you look at the list of miracles that Jesus performed, it's not really in the list that much, but um, if you go on Wikipedia or about.com or whatever, you probably won't see this in the list, but I really believe it was a miracle that Jesus performed and I really believe that it belongs in the list. So we'll continue this series next Wednesday night. And we'll go outside the normal list of miracles that Jesus performed. So tonight I kind of have to set the scene. Tonight I have to kind of tell you where we are in the story of Jesus and his life and in his death. Most of you know where we are at this point in time in the story. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 26 tonight where we see Jesus... In the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is captured. Uh, he is taken by the priests and the temple guards and the leaders, the religious leaders of the day. He is taken captive by them. The Romans don't really have any beef with Jesus. The Romans have no reason to, uh, to really capture him, except for the fact that the, the Jewish leaders have convince them that now Jesus is the leader of an insurrection. He's going to lead an uprising and try to overthrow the Romans, and that makes him an enemy of the state, if you will. So here we have the priests coming to arrest Jesus. Now Jesus knows that this is happening. As a matter of fact, he's had his last supper with his disciples, his last time to hang out with his guys and for them to just celebrate the Passover together. He's told them that one of them is a betrayer. One of them will sell him for the price of a slave. Some 30 pieces of silver is what Jesus will be sold out for. And he said that the one whom I take this bread and dip it in the cup and feed it to, that is the one who is going to betray me. And he gives the cup, or he gives the bread dipped in the cup to Judas. Judas runs out and it says that Judas is indwelt by Satan at that point. That Satan enters Judas at that point. 
Judas saw Jesus as a means to an end. He didn't see him as the Messiah. He didn't see him as God. He just saw him as a means to get what Judas wanted, and that was just simply money. It says that when he was traveling around with Jesus, he he took some out of the the collections, and he kind of skimmed off the offering and stuck it in his pocket. And here we see Jesus... He's just had dinner with his friends, and he's gone to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, where it says that he did this a lot. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. It's one of his favorite places to pray, apparently. It's one of the places he went very often. So he's there, and and he's praying. I mean, this is where he's, he's praying, and blood is literally coming out of his pores because he's praying with such anxiety, such vigor, that blood is actually coming out of his skin. He's in agony because he knows that he's about to have to drink of the cup of suffering that I just prayed about a minute ago. He even prays to his father, Father, if there's some other way that you might be able to take this cup of suffering from me, God, if there's some other way. And then immediately he prays, but thy will be done. Father, you do what you have to do in my life because I know what's to come. I know what has to be accomplished here and sin must be defeated and it's going to cost me my life. And I understand that. Jesus is in agony as he's praying to his father because he knows what's to come. He knows not only is he going to have to die, and he's going to die a brutal death, but he's going to have to take your sin, all the things that you've done in your life to break God's heart, he's got to take them on himself so that that sin can be punished. And his heart's breaking. And he's got, these, he's got his boys there with him. He's got his guys there in the garden praying with him. And what happens? We see these guys, they're ordinary men. <laughs> they're just guys like you and I. They're just ordinary people. And they kept falling asleep. Because, you know why they kept falling asleep? Because they were tired. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, is what Jesus says. And the guys are tired, and they just keep falling asleep. And Jesus is like, but you don't understand what's going down. You don't understand what's happening right now. You don't understand about how bad it's going to get here in just a little while. If you did understand that, you would be down here praying with me. But instead, you're asleep. He wakes them up, tries to tell them that. They fall back asleep again. Then finally, he, he wakes them up when the mob has come to arrest Jesus. They got torches, they got lanterns, they got clubs, they got spears, they got swords, and they're coming to take Jesus by force. And Jesus wakes up his guys and he says, man, this is where it's going to happen. Now, who's with the mob? Judas is with the mob. He says, you know what? I will tell you who Jesus is by kissing him. You will know which one Jesus is. By his, Jesus will be the one that I kiss, and he'll be the one that you, that you go and you arrest him because that will be Jesus. And we see Jesus, Jesus perform a miracle here in Matthew chapter 26. It's going to be up on the screen. Why don't I just read it from there? And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived. With a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them 
a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi. He said it, it says he exclaimed, so he said it loud. There's an exclamation point saying that he said it loud so everybody would know Judas has just called him teacher, so this must be Jesus. It says he exclaimed and gave him the kiss. A kiss is typically a sign of endearment, a sign of love. You kiss people as you greet them, as you welcome them. Here, the kiss is a sign of betrayal. Jesus said, being Jesus, he's not intimidated by this situation. He's God. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what has to happen in order for Scripture to be fulfilled. For all the prophecy of all the prophets that have come before, Jesus knows how it's got to go down. He's got to know, he knows how it's got to happen. He says, Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. He says, Judas, don't waste any time. Go ahead and do what you got to do. You're here to betray me. I know that. You don't have control like you think you do. I'm actually the one that's in control here. So he says, go ahead and do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. I'm ready. When the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Put away your sword, Jesus told, told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. And we're going to stop right there. We find out in John's gospel that this is actually Peter. We all know that Peter's got a knack for sticking his foot in his mouth. And he's got a knack for acting irrationally a lot of times. And he's the one that's probably going to step up and do something bold and stupid. More than likely it's going to be Peter. The other gospel accounts don't really record who it is. We find out from John's gospel that it was Peter. The reason we find out is in John's gospel because John's gospel was written later than everybody else. The reason John called him out is because it was okay then. Because if, if the other gospel accounts would have called him out, they probably would have killed Peter as a result of it. Because he, he had slashed the ear and they probably would have said, All right, you're going to have to suffer for having done what you did. So... Matthew's gospel doesn't call him out. It doesn't say who did it. It just says somebody did. We know now that it's Peter because of John's gospel. And here we see something very interesting. We see Peter doing something that any one of us would probably do. If you think about how much Peter loved Jesus, and he was in his little inner circle, like Peter, James, and John, man, they were tight with Jesus. They were really close to Jesus. And they probably would have done anything for Jesus. As a matter of fact, Peter tells Jesus this back in Matthew chapter 16. Connie, if we can go ahead and switch back to Matthew chapter 16, we're actually going to see this. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. That he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. This is exactly what had happened, right? Jesus is telling them back in chapter 16 of Matthew what's going to happen in Matthew chapter 26. You know why? Because he's God and he knows what's going to happen. And he tells them this is what's got to happen. He says he, he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. 
But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and says, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. So Peter, after hearing Jesus say, man, I've got to die, that they're going to make me suffer, and they're eventually going to kill me. And that's going to happen by the, the priests and the teachers of the law from this day and this time. And Peter's like, no way. It's not going to happen. Even if I have to die to save you, that's what I'm going to do. And we all know that, that Peter went on to betray Jesus by denying him three times. We'd probably talk about that some other time. But Peter's committed to Jesus. He's like, man, it doesn't matter what's going to happen. I am going to be there beside you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure this doesn't happen. And what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Why does Jesus say that? Because the words of Peter right there are straight from hell. Straight from hell. Because the purpose of Jesus' life was for him to go, to go to the cross. And Peter says... You're not supposed to go to the cross. You're not supposed to die this way. And Jesus knows, because he's got a godly perspective, what's supposed to happen. Kenny, what in the world does this have to do with me? Everything. Everything. Think about it. Think about the things that happen in your life. Think about the things that you ask for, maybe even in prayer. Things that you like beg God for and get down on your knees and like, God, I need this. This really needs to happen in my life. I really, really need you to come through on this particular situation. You know what the difference is? We do exactly what Peter was doing and we look at it from a human perspective. What's the whole purpose of the miracles that Jesus performs? It's so that we will see him for being God. We will see him for being the Messiah. We'll see, so it will increase our faith, right? That's the same thing that needs to happen in Peter's life. He needs his faith increased. He needs his faith in Jesus strengthened so that he understands that Jesus is God and Jesus knows the way that this is supposed to go down. Jesus knows the way that it's supposed to happen. Can you imagine the amount of rebuke Peter must have felt when Jesus looks at him, looks at him in the eye and says, get behind me, Satan. He's like, what did I do, man? You know the only thing he did? The only thing he did that got that chastisement from Jesus was he looked at it from a human perspective. You know what you and I do every single day of our lives? Probably eight times a day, 20 times, 120 times a day. Even many times in the middle of prayer, we look at everything from a human perspective. And sometimes those prayers don't get answered. Straight up honest with you. You know that, right? You know that sometimes God says no or God says nothing at all and time passes and it doesn't come to fruition like you thought it was supposed to. Sometimes you get mad at God, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you let it pass by. It depends on how big the situation is, right? Hopefully what you gain from that is understanding things that you pray for and you desire and you want in your life are merely from a human perspective. That you, as your faith increases and you start to see things the way God sees them, as you begin to trust in God more, as your faith grows, you begin to see God knows. 
He knows the way it's supposed to go. He knows the, the end and how it's supposed to work itself out. And even though I may not be able to see it from a limited human perspective, God knows. God knows exactly the way it's supposed to go down. And Jesus looks at Peter after he's taken out his sword and he cuts the priest's slave, he cuts his ear. It doesn't tell us in Matthew's gospel, but it tells us in the other gospel accounts, in particular in Luke, that he repaired the guy's ear. Jesus healed the man's ear when he touched it. It's the only time in Scripture we see Jesus, you know, performing a, fre- performing a miracle on a fresh wound. Immediately, Jesus repairs the guy's ear. And what does he tell What does he tell Peter right here? He tells him a couple things. Number one, he tells him those who live this way, those who live by the sword, die by the sword. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, if you use your sword to attack all of these men and you think we're going to go up against all of these guys and we're going to defeat them, you recognize that I'm God and I have power, but... You don't really understand the powers that I have. If you think that we're going to do this by force, you're dead wrong. Because what will happen is that they will end up killing you because you took the sword out and tried to kill them. What will happen is that you will die, if not right now, you will die later by the sword. And that's not the way it's supposed to happen. That's not the way that you fight spiritual battles. You don't fight them with the sword. Jesus is saying... You're messing things up. You're doing it the wrong way. So much so, because he has a limited human perspective, Jesus has to go back and fix it. Oh, thank God that Jesus goes back and fixes his ear, right? If that doesn't speak volumes to you, it speaks volumes to me. So, so Peter's dumb, okay, right? Anybody else in here dumb? I'll raise my hand first. I am dumb, all right? Peter's dumb, just like you and I. Peter messes up. Got a limited human perspective, sees things the way he thinks they should go. Peter messes up. Jesus comes in and fixes the situation. Praise God that he's a merciful, loving, gracious God that he is. Because even though Peter messed up, Jesus corrected Peter. And fix the situation. Can I promise you that that will always happen in your life? No. I can't say that when, when you mess up, that Jesus is going to come along and make it okay. But what I can say is this. He certainly has the power to. And depending on what's best for you and for his kingdom, that's what he'll do. In this particular situation, it was best for the kingdom of God that it not go down this way. So Jesus fixed the situation and healed the guy's ear. And for whatever reason, they didn't report that Peter did it. Because Peter didn't get, didn't get uh, uh, hung on the cross beside Jesus. They didn't know that he did it. I'm not sure exactly how that happened. All I know is that God made it such that Peter didn't go to the cross right then. We know that Peter went on to preach the gospel and the good news of Jesus on and on and on and on. And finally they crucified Peter upside down. He didn't die by the sword. He didn't die by the sword. He died exactly the way Jesus did for preaching the gospel, for fighting those spiritual battles on a different plane, a whole different plane than fighting with swords. Jesus is trying to teach these guys this. He's trying to teach Peter this, that it's going to be important that you fight your battles this way. 
Jesus said, my friend, go ahead. Oh, never mind. Go ahead to the next one. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly? Peter said, or Jesus said to Peter, you don't understand the kind of power that I have. See, if I were to ask God for angels to protect me, he would send legions, literally 72,000 angels to come right here, right now at my beck and call because I'd ask the Father to. And Peter's probably thinking, that would be good. We could really use 72,000 angels right now. If you could send those, that would really help us out a lot. Especially considering I just slashed this dude's ear and they're probably really mad. So 72,000 angels on our side would be a really good thing. But Jesus didn't say, God is sending us 72,000 angels. Peter, uh, Jesus is saying to Peter, I could. I could. If I had a human perspective, but I have a God perspective. And because of that, it ain't going down like that. It ain't going down like that. Why? Because Jesus has to fulfill Scripture, the prophecy, over and over and over again in the Old Testament, which, by the way, we're going to cover this Sunday. You, you know, I like to give you little snippets of what's coming. We're going to look at Old Testament prophecy, all, all kinds of Old Testament prophets and psalms and everything that point to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, and so many of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled by dying the way that he did and living the way that he did, we're going to look at those this Sunday. It says, but if I did, would the scriptures be fulfilled that, des that describe what must happen now? It says, if, it, if we died right here in the garden, it wouldn't fulfill prophecy. It wouldn't fulfill the scriptures that said that it wasn't supposed to happen like this. And Jesus said to the crowd... He's looking at the mob now. He's looking out at all these people that have come to kill him. He says, then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. But this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in the scriptures. At this point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. This is what happens. Do you know that, that even when the disciples left him right here, that that was prophesied in Scripture that that would happen as well? All of these things, Jesus, his whole life, every single step of his life is just lining up with what Scripture has already said. And Jesus is like, I wish you'd quit being so short-sighted. I wish that you would recognize that I have the power of God on my hands, at my disposal and in my hands. And if I were to call down legions of angels, they would protect us. But that's not the way it's supposed to happen. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. You, in your life, where you sit, in your chairs, listen to me. The way that you're praying for it to happen may not be the way it's supposed to happen. Does that mean that we're not supposed to pray? We're not supposed to ask God? We're not supposed to continually go after God and pursue God and ask Him for those things that we desire, that, that we really need in our life? It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to ask for those things. 
It doesn't mean that we're not supposed to go to God and say, I need you to heal my grandmother because she's really sick, or I need you to do this with a relationship that's in my life because it really needs to be prepared, repaired. But what it does mean is this, is that God is going to be glorified in the end, and no matter what, if you have your heart set on what his heart is set on, the end is very good. The end didn't look good from a human perspective here, did it? Jesus dying and being led away in chains and shackles to go to a cross, have the flesh ripped off his body, that doesn't look good from our perspective. Jesus is able to perform miracles, raise the dead, all of these kinds of things, heal sick people, make blind people able to see, lame people able to walk. And here he is going to the cross, dying, you and I are watching him, seeing the flesh ripped off his body, and it doesn't look good. It looks really, really bad, as a matter of fact. Almost like our faith is destroyed going, I thought this guy had power. I thought that he was going to be able to resist this. I thought that he was going to set up a kingdom here on earth. And Jesus is like, you're so short-sighted. You can't see what's really going on here. There is a kingdom that is to come. There is a new heaven and a new earth. There is a place where everything will be made right. But what has to happen right now is that sin has to die. Sin has to die. And maybe that's the invitation for you tonight. Maybe that's the invitation in your heart, and that is this. That my, strength, my faith be strengthened and that sin die in my life. That I, I may understand more about God and be able to see things the way He sees them and stop being so short-sighted. Maybe that's the invitation for you. I don't know how God has spoken to you in this message, but I know that He has. I know that His Word is powerful and true, and I know that it has spoken to people in this room. Respond to Him. Father, thank you. God, thank you for your powerful word. God, I know that there are people here. Uh, maybe they're hurting. Maybe they've been praying continually for things and they don't see anything happening as a result of that prayer. Maybe their hearts are broken and they're wondering what, what's going on. God, I, I don't know what people have going on in their lives, but what I do know is this. Is God, every single time we open this book, something happens in people's life. God, that their heart sees something about themselves, that their eyes are open to something about themselves that needs to be corrected or encouraged or fixed. or God, something has to change in their life as a result of your word. So, Lord, I just pray right now. God, however you need to do surgery on our hearts, however you need to convict us or correct us or love us or encourage us, God, I just pray, Lord, that we would be obedient and we just let you do it. God, we just let you do the surgery you need to do. Thank you, God, for sending your son to the garden to pray for me. God, thank you for the fact that he knew the cup of suffering was coming for me. God, I, I just pray that we'd recognize the power of the cross. We'd recognize the power that Jesus had over the entire situation and how every step that he took was in perfect alignment with your will. And that was the desire of his heart, was that the Father's will... It would just happen on this earth. Thy will be done 
on heaven in heaven as it is on earth. God, I just pray whether we recognize just how powerful Jesus was in that moment. But more importantly, how powerful he is in this moment in our lives and in our hearts. God, and how he has the ability God, to change us and to make us more like him. Let's pray that we respond to that. Lord, speak to us now. God, as we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all stand?